I know I, as I come out, a lot of you thought, oh, no, we're getting the B team. I had no idea we were getting the B team. They didn't put this on Facebook. We're getting the assistant coach today, and it looks like he can't even, uh, <clears throat> doesn't even sound like he's on his A game. So we're getting the B team on a B day. I thank you for being here anyway. It's good to see you. My name is Richard Harvey. I am uh, the children's director here, and I'm so excited to be able to be able to share in big church today. I'm usually back with the little ones, and today I get to be with you. We do a lot of goofy things with your kids, but I'm very intentional with every goofy thing that we do. There's a lot in kids' ministry that we do that makes absolutely no sense. You ever thought about that? Like... And you think, did people ever ask themselves, why are they doing this again? Like this song, Father Abraham. Now, if you have some kind of background at all with the Old Testament, you're an adult, you understand who Abraham is, right? Uh, but if you're a kid, you've got to remember, this is all news to you. So you go into a group of people with a, uh, some, uh, some guy stands up and says, okay, everybody, we're going to sing Father Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons. Okay. And then we get all like Dr. Seuss on it. Many sons had Father Abraham. Okay. So this guy had a lot of kids. And I am one of those sons. <laughs> okay. And so are you. Well, there's a plot twist. I am that guy's kin. And then you just stop. You don't explain right there. You offer no explanation. You just go into, so let's just praise the Lord. And then you start bringing up body parts. Right arm. What? Can you go, can you give me a little bit of backstory here, guy? Nope. We're just going to keep charging along and doing the rest of the song and calling out body parts and dancing around. So I've learned that there's this guy, Abraham, the very utterance of his name makes you want to slam dance, and we go home after that, and maybe we get a snack. So if we change the words for just a moment, you can kind of understand a kid's perspective. What if we said, Father Brad had lots of kids, and lots of kids did Brad have, and I am one of them, and so are you, so let's just start praising God and You wouldn't do that. That would be strange. You would go take your kid home and say, what did you learn at church today, Billy? Well, I learned that my real dad's name is Brad and this cool dance move. So what I'm trying to say is we try to avoid that back at River Kids. We try to give your kids intentional discipleship uh, that makes sense and uh, um, will work for them. So... Uh, would you pray for them and for me today as we begin? Dear Lord, we love you so much. I thank you for everything that you uh, are doing within and through this ministry. Thank you for all the people who uh, brave the elements to be here today to hear your word and to worship you. Would you, uh, we ask that your Holy Spirit would smile upon us today, Father, and that we could hear from you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, I wanted to share with you today, you know, I've realized I've been here about four years. And pardon me, I've got a little bit of a cold. And I've never really shared my story with you. 
And uh, anytime I have an opportunity to get in front of you, I want to share a little bit about what we do with the children's ministry as well. So I hope you'll allow me to do that today. I want to share with you what I believe are the three ingredients for children's discipleship and how God saved me and directed me to children's ministry. Before we do that, I think we need to define discipleship. And discipleship is a pupil or an adherent to the doctrines of another. So discipleship requires a person and God's word. And it's really quite simple. And, but you see that there will be a lot of folks who will <coughs> complicate it a bit. And there's seminars that you can get and there's books that you can read. And it, it really comes down to a person and God's word. In many regards, and I think you will agree with me, if you just take a look at the, your culture, uh, politics has replaced religion for a lot of people. People can tell you instantly, I can probably ask a lot of you here today, why you love or hate a certain politician. We listen to the talking heads daily, and I don't mean the awesome band from the 70s and 80s, and we throw bombs on social media. We even wear clothes with our candidate's name or image or message or slogan on them. But if you see somebody in a shirt with Jesus on it, you think, that dude is probably in a cult or a little bit soft. But I would warn you, if people look at you and the first thought they have is there is one angry fill-in-the-blank, a Democrat or a Republican, then let me tell you very clearly, you are doing life wrong. You are doing life wrong. Do you know your political party's doctrine better than your creator's? I'll have to confess for myself, I was a news junkie. And junkie is a great word for it. And I can tell you that modern news is not news. It is drama. It's a group of people who have to wake up every morning and figure out how to make you angry enough to keep tuning in. Well, I would wake up in the morning, and I worked from home, so I would turn on talk radio and start listening to talk radio. And I would listen almost all day. And I, I was able to stay at home with my kids, and they'd come, and I'd even shush my kids at times. Like, oh, this person's talking. I want to hear what they have to say. And then at night, I would turn on the, the TV and, and listen to different talking heads, so, and I wanted to see their facial expressions, I guess. And I like to see the people fight. You ever watch the news at night, and they just fight? You don't even know what they're saying? And you don't, even, you don't even care. You're just like, yeah, fight them. That person's a dummy, and that's a smart one. Listen, dummies. All the dummies should listen to the smart guy. Oh, nobody can listen to the smart guy. They're talking all over him. I'm going to go on social media and make people hate me. <laughs> you, ever, you ever do that? Am I the only one that does that? I did that for a long time. And I don't know where it really got me. But I want to remind you, I didn't know he was going to get political out of the gate. But I want to remind you that Jesus has no party affiliation. He still doesn't. 
his affiliation is love. And he still said, they're going to know that you are Christians by your love for one another. The identifier is love. And this is going to come as a shock to a lot of us. But Republicans deserve love. Democrats deserve love too. And so do libertarians. And even the people who are unaffiliated, they all deserve love. And when I see, when people look at me, I don't want them to say, there's one angry person who belongs to a political party. I want them to say, there's that dude that knows Jesus. But then I think about what my children see. If you were to ask my children, who's dad going to vote for in the next election? They might be even able to tell you. I don't know. But I would hope that before that, they would be able to say, who does, God, who does Richard, daddy, love more than anybody in the world? And I would hope that they would say, Jesus. The first and probably most important ingredient for the discipleship of children is time and there is no gift you can show you that you can give someone that shows them they are valued quite like time there's absolutely zero substitute do your kids ever get jealous of what you're spending time with mine do and they'll tell you they'll tell you right away you might hear them say if you were in my house you might hear them say dad would you please get off your phone? Would you play with me? Do you have to work again tonight? Do you have any meetings this week? And unfortunately, we men, you might have noticed this, we're not the most observant creatures. When they say that, what does that mean? It means, hey, Dad, I need to spend some time with you. They know what I value by what they see me spending time with. And children, believe it or not, even those mean teenagers long to spend time with you, even if they act like they don't. And how do I know this to be true? Because Jesus, our perfect model of discipleship, was with his disciples constantly. They had an opportunity to see him doing everything. They saw him from every angle that you can see a person. They saw the prophet. And they saw the teacher, the friend, the healer, the coach, the brother, the son. And after just a few days of being with him, those disciples, you can bet, knew exactly what Jesus was all about. Constant in prayer. They saw him laughing. They saw him eating, they even saw him weeping, they saw him caring, they saw him loving, and they saw him healing. So if you were at my house and said, Adelia, Iva Jane, what do you see your dad constantly doing? It would probably be uh, eating Lucky Charms, I do a lot of that. A lot of cereal. I'm a big fan of cereal. But I ask that question to you. What do your children, if, they, if I ask them, what, does your, what do you see your parents doing all of the time? What, what would they say? 
You know what amazes me? I've taken a couple trips out of the country. I'm not a real world traveler. But what always strikes me is when you go to another country and you look at their uh, landscaping or their personal yards, they don't care. And for a while, I, I was kind of hoity-toity. I'm like, huh, these, these people in this other country, they just, they, don't, they can't probably afford the lawn equipment like I have. Not that I'm, I mean, if you've seen my yard, you're like, dude, you don't need to be bragging about this. But they don't, they, really, at the parks, they don't really have a, a parks department that comes and takes care of the parks, but the children still play on the playground. But after you're there for a while, you realize, perhaps I'm the sucker. Because I'm the one who, with my little free time, I will spend a Saturday making sure that my grass looks just like my neighbor's grass. And I see those other dads, they're looking at me like, dude, don't you even mow this grass before I mow my grass. And you're like, brother, it's on. I'm mowing my grass today, and I'm getting rid of all the dandelions. What? I've got to get rid of all the dandelions. And it's silly. I was talking to some farmers one time at the donut shop, because believe it or not, I like to really go to the donut shop. And they said, you know the best uh, solution for dandelions? I said, what is the best solution for dandelions? And they said, September. So <laughs> after you've spent some time there, you realize perhaps, perhaps I've got it wrong. Perhaps time in my yard doesn't really matter so much. I can tell you, I don't think it would really matter to Jesus. Your kids need to see you consistently serving those around you. And better yet, serving with you as you serve others around you. When you see, when they see you valuing others and having compassion on others and serving others, they begin to value others as well. And a big complaint that uh, folks have of this generation is that they're self-absorbed and we shake our heads and act as if it's their fault. And first off, I'm not sure that it's a fact that they're self-absorbed. I think people have always been self-absorbed. And I think the Bible even tells us this. But just now we have tools that make our self-absorption a little bit more public. But I digress. Let's assume that they are more self-absorbed. How did they learn to be self-absorbed? Who taught them? I promise you, if a child is given opportunities to engage in consistent ministry at an early age, they will become hooked. It sounds counterintuitive, but it's true. And it's one of the reasons we take our kids uh, occasionally to uh, River Kids to the Harder House so they can serve the folks out there. And you will... You would never believe that they would want to get together with, a, with, you know, 50 or 60 elderly people and play bingo. That doesn't seem like a thing that kids would want to do. But if you've been there and you've seen them do it for that whole time, a whole two-hour duration, you will see our children sitting next to older people. And they're a little shy at first, and it's a little awkward. But then when they get to sharing their stories, they sit there, and they wish that they had more time. I want to give our kids those experiences early. 
What if they don't have that experience until they're 20 years old? And they've lost out on that whole perspective. You would be so proud if you could see our kids when we go to the Harder House. Every time we finish up, we, we go and have a debriefing and we say, now how many of you would have rather played a video game during that time? Now I'm sure secretly there are a couple. But you couldn't tell it by talking to them. They love it. And they, they usually the follow-up question is, when can we go back? The time you invest in a child's life will always yield a great return. The number two, the second ingredient for discipleship for kids is teaching. The familiar verse is a child, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. And when the writers of the Gospels were sharing this, it was during a time in the culture when kids would take on an apprenticeship to learn a trade. And the goal when they were fully trained was not to be greater than the master, but to at least be competent like the master. An education, I'm going to step on toes here, let me finish the whole statement. Education is not the responsibility of the state or any of our fine public and private school teachers. I say that as a person who has been a teacher. It's not their responsibility, particularly in biblical education. It is ours. It is our job to train up our children in the way they should go. Nobody else is going to do it. Now, I am not saying take your kids out of school. Did I say that? I didn't say that at all. But it, don't put the responsibility on your child's teacher. It is your responsibility ultimately. And when we go before God, it is not going, you can't say, but the third grade teacher was really boring. It's going to be on us. So then what? We have to make sure that we are um, teaching our children well. You know, if you put it on the burden on our team here at children's ministry, I want to be very clear, we're not going to be able to do it. Because I share, or our team shares, one Bible story with your kids for 20 minutes once a week. Now, let's say you wanted your child to be a guitar player, and you sent them to guitar practice for 20 minutes once a week. How long would it take them to master the guitar? Like, I don't, I don't play the guitar. I don't know guitar people, what, 120 years? I don't know. <laughs> is, that, is that about right? If you practice 20 minutes a week, 120 years feels about right. We're going to always do the best we can to honor your children and love them and admonish them and teach them the things of the Lord, but we can't do it. We're just, a, we're just one of your tools that you have. It's your responsibility. And I know that's, that's, that's a heavy weight because when I'm not back there, I'm here too. And I'm tired Monday through Friday as well. But isn't it worth it? Don't you love it when your kids come to you and you, they ask you questions about the things of God? Isn't that wonderful? Do they ever do that? And they're like, how old is God? Oh, boy. Oh. Let your kids ask those crazy questions. 
my kids are at, at that stage where they're asking all kinds of questions. I was asked the other day, what's the lightest um, cloth? What's the lightest fabric? <laughs> and they followed up with, how much do you think Saturn weighs? What? I have no idea. I have no idea any of this. But you know what? Why are they coming to me with these questions? Why are your kids coming to you with all of these questions? It's a really simple answer. It's because they think that you have the answers. Hold on to that. There's going to be a time if you stop answering their questions, they're just going to go ask the kid at school. The kid at school will tell you exactly how they feel about God and eternity. I want to make sure my kid's coming to me with those questions. But better yet, to make sure that I'm going to them. Because I understand the things of God aren't on the forefront of their mind. Minecraft or something else is. You know, but also don't feel like you have the, that weight as a parent to have all of the answers. Taking a look at Jesus, contrary to a lot of common assumptions, Jesus is not the ultimate answer man. I think he's more the great questioner. In the Gospels, Jesus asked many more questions than he answers. They've, they've tallied it up to be precise. Jesus asked 307 questions. Those are questions Jesus asked. And he is asked 183 questions, of which he only answers three. Sometimes I wish I could only answer three of my kids' questions. But asking questions was central to Jesus' life and his teaching. In fact, for every question he answers directly, he asks literally a hundred the questions Jesus asks, what they tell us about Jesus, and more important, what our responses might say about what it means to follow him. Through Jesus' questions, he modeled the struggle, the wondering, the thinking it through that helps draw us all closer to God and better understand and not just answer, but ourselves, our process, and ultimately why questions are among Jesus' most profound gifts for life of faith. Teach your kids to ask questions. Teach your kids how to think. Teaching them how to question and teaching them how to think is a godly, will produce a godly education, a gift that will outlive you. Finally, the third thing that I think is key in children's discipleship is sharing your treasure, assuming your treasure is one worth sharing. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. If you value basketball, and that's where your treasure is, your kids will probably value basketball as well. Or, if you are me, 
they will value early 80s arcade games, comic books, and Legos. I enjoy sharing those treasures and those hobbies and fun things with my kids. They make fantastic memories, but they make no change for eternity. I want my kids walking away from me first saying, not, I want his cool Lego set when he dies. I want them to say, I want that faith. I want his ministry. After that, the rest is gravy. I didn't say any of those things were bad. I just want them to want the important things. You know, I, I um, when I was a teacher, I realized, okay, this money's not going to pay the bills. So I started investing in real estate, and I, I, I bought some properties, and I've never made a penny. I've lost a lot of pennies, thousands upon thousands of pennies, but I have yet to earn a single penny because I know that it's for my children. And I, to me, it's so important. And I sit down and I say, I want you to know it's been a long battle, but in 15 years, I'm halfway there. In 15 years, you're going to be able to enjoy the benefits of these buildings. And they look at me with their eyes completely glazed over. And they just say, what? They don't care. What's so important to me, that's where I've put my treasure. Oh, kids, this is going to be so beneficial to you. It's been a, a chore for me, but in 15 years, this will matter to you. And they just don't care. And I can tell you, all the stuff that you own that you want to put in a will somewhere, like who's going to get the, the, the milk pitchers and <laughs> who's going to get the antiques, it, they don't care. They don't care. They care about how much time are we spending together. And we need to think in that time that we're spending with them, what are we redirecting our values to for them? What do they see as valuable? God used three key men at different points in my life. who all use their time, teaching, and treasure to draw me closer to God. Uh, my story, and, and there's, a, there's reasons I don't tell my story right out of the gate, is because I don't want you to identify me with, with a hard luck story. I want you to see the joy that God has given me and, and what he's brought me from. But I, it, it, there does come a time when it's, I, it's necessary to share my story with you. So I'm going to share just a, a, for just a moment with you my story. Um, my parents were very young when I was born. My mom was 16 uh, when she had me. My dad was 18. So um, you can imagine that wasn't a real thought-out process. But they did get married, and uh, three years later, uh, they, they tried. They tried as young people, as kids. If you look at the picture, I, did, I should have brought it today. It's really kind of it's, it's humorous through my eyes because you see two, two parents, two children, and they look kind of like this because they're terrified. And then there's me. <laughs> I love it. They're, they're just looking scared because they're scared. And I'm looking like I just love it because I do because life is awesome. And uh, that's the world I was kind of brought into. And then um, 
parents got divorced when I was three, and my mom had that, that struggle of a, a single mom, and my dad was looking at her life and saying, okay, that's chaos. I'm going to move to Texas, and I'm going to start a better life for us, and I'm going to try to hit the reset button to bring you guys back to Texas and get you away from the craziness. So he did. He moved to Texas, and he got a, a job out there, and, and uh, he sent for uh, tickets for, for my mom and I to go back to Texas to be with him, and they were just on the cusp of starting over, and my mom um, sold some drugs to an undercover police officer, and uh, I had on the cowboy boots and the cowboy hat, and I was ready to, we were ready to get on the plane, and the police stopped us and put that kibosh on that, and that, uh, that did it for my dad. Chaos. I don't want this chaos over here in Texas. And things were very, very difficult until God put on a 45 year old man's heart the burden of me. It was my grandfather, not much older than I am now. He always seemed so old when I was little, but now he's just two years older than me. He had walked away from the Lord. And he had put his treasure and, and, and talents and time into all these other things and building his kingdom. He had a brand new house that he had just purchased and on some really nice land. And, and he really had all things you would think together. But he was angry. Constantly angry. And he turned to alcohol as well. But when I was born... And somebody on my bus was offered drugs on my school bus. An older kid offered a younger kid drugs on the school bus. He said, I'm done. I'm done living this life. Uh, we're going to go to church on Sunday. I'm going to take this boy to church on Sunday with me. I'm completely done with the alcohol. I'm walking towards the Lord. And everybody had that thought. Yeah, let's see if this takes. You ever had that, that, those people in your life? And you're like, yeah. Yeah, let's see if they, if they really if this really takes for them, or if it's for show. But I'll tell you, it took. And that man picked me up for church wherever I was every Sunday. But he understood that there's so much more to raising a godly kid than just picking them up for church on Sunday. He also said, if you're ever afraid, call me, and I will come and get you. I did. I would call him say, Grandpa, I don't know what's going on with Mom right now, but I'm afraid. He would come and get me. He could have said, like I've said to other people, not my problem. But he didn't. He had everything that you could ever need to be comfortable. He did not need to add this chaos in his life. But he did. And he picked me up. And I watched his life and I watched how he completely turned around and how he loved his wife and cared for her so much. But his kids were a bit of a mess. He had one son that was a paranoid schizophrenic and another one that was really involved in drugs, was selling and dealing drugs. And I would have to go sometimes and and one of those guys would be babysitting me, and we'd think, oh, no, please don't, 
please don't let the police come today. And when anytime somebody came to buy drugs, they'd send us to a back room in the trailer or they'd send us out to go play. And you would just pray that the police wouldn't come. Well, the police came and they, <laughs> they arrested my uncle Ethan and took him away several times. And I would always end up being in the car when we had to go get him, when it was time for his, his time in prison was up, I would always be in the car and we would pick him up and I always felt like, why do I have to be the guy that rides in the back seat with this loser? And he'd, we'd get in the car and he would say, take me to McDonald's. That's where he, if you any of you ever been to prison, when you get out of prison, the first thing you want is fast food because the food stinks in prison. It's really bad. So we would go get him the hamburger and, and meanwhile, I would spend time with my crazy other uncle who would, I remember the first memory I have is he would stand over the stairway two stories up and grab my feet me like this. And I didn't have language to say stop, but I remember wishing that guy would stop. He was a scary individual. Had a lot of bad dudes around my life growing up. But I noticed the culture at school and the culture with my grandfather was completely different than what I was experiencing at home. It's no secret, I'm a, I, I am a proponent of, of Christian schools I, uh, because of my experience. Um, so I, I don't mean to step on any toes of any public school teachers here or anybody else, but um, he enrolled me in a Christian school. And as soon as I went in, I realized that everything was different. And I also realized that I was not a product of my circumstances. I didn't really, I don't know how you think that in kindergarten, but it, something like that clicked with me. Where my life doesn't have to be the chaos that I see at home. Well, we had heard that someone had shared Jesus with my Uncle Ethan in jail. So again, it was time to go pick him up in jail. And I thought, very skeptically again, there's no way. He just did that to get out of prison sooner. Um, um, there's no way this took. And when he got in the car that time, he looked back longingly. And when he had tears in his eyes. We said, Ethan, where do you want to go? Why, you know, why are you crying? And he just looked back and he said, there, there's no one to tell those men about Jesus. It took. Someone had the courage to walk into that jail from a church much like ours. It's actually a lady in her 30s, one of his former friends. No one else would go visit him. She visited him and said, Jesus has a plan for your life. It's not too late. He was 35 at that time. When he got out, he became crazy on fire for the Lord. And then he was the one who said, you know, Grandpa, I've got it. Uh, I want to take it from here. Can we take him to church on Wednesday? I'm going to take him to, to this church on Friday for youth. I'm going to pick him up for Sunday morning service and Sunday evening service. The church had four services, so you're welcome. No. <laughs> it was, we were busy going to church quite a bit. And he was, he had that authentic faith. When we would be driving, he would say, I, I kid you not, he would say, uh, see that hitchhiker over there? We want to pray real quick and try to get the sermon to see if we need to get him, see if he needs anything. 
He would pick up hitchhikers. Yeah, he was like, what do you call it? A real Christian <laughs> who wasn't afraid. He would go pick up hitchhikers. Now, I wouldn't uh, advise that, really, especially if you have children in the car. Maybe partner with somebody to, to figure out the, the best way to do that. It, he did get taken advantage of quite a bit. A lot of money taken from him. But there was also a lot of life change. And a lot of people came to know the Lord through his courage to go to people that other people wouldn't go to. Now, you may wonder where my dad was in all this. And my dad was in a position that many of you may be in. He kind of fought for custody when I was younger, but in the, in the late 70s, early 80s, mom got the kids. That's just how it worked. And he said, you know, I, I, I could have fought, but I would have lost anyway because moms always get the kids. And my dad was consistently there every weekend when I would visit him, and he gave me a good dose of normalcy. I went with my dad. He was, a he was in construction, and we would be um, working on staircases or tearing out back porches. And, and he said, I just wanted to make sure that just for a little bit, you saw what normal life was like. And I know there are dads out there today who you wish you had more time with your kids. And I want to tell you, take the time that you do have. And just make it count. We pray together that you'll have more time. But make the time that you have with them count. You don't have to, to spend all that time going to Kings Island or doing the fun things. I remember so much just being there with my dad and doing normal things made a huge impact on my life. Well, I'll try to fast forward through some of this. I uh, was working at Jimmy's Dairy Bar in Pendleton when my grandma came up and said, Ethan died. And he had had a back surgery. That was my uncle. And he just passed away after a couple of weeks back at home. And then I thought, who's going to tell those men about Jesus? Then I thought, who's going to take my cousins to church? I didn't think that because I'm some great person. I thought that because I saw these men take interest in a cast-off. These men took interest in someone born out of wedlock to teenagers in a crazy environment filled with drugs and chaos. And they didn't give up. They said, right there. I'm spending my time and my treasure with that kid right there. And it completely changed my world. I have a lot more to share, but the hour is late. I want to tell you, the job that we have ahead of us, the need that we have, is greater than our ability to accomplish it. There are children, children perhaps even in our own ministry, 
who need people like you and me to say, you are not a product of your circumstances, young person. Because the one thing that made all the difference in my life wasn't someone taking me to play video games or my dad working uh, with me on, on a car. It was them saying, hey, Jesus loves you. You are of value. You are a kingdom person. And God loves you. I want you to think about the children that God's placed in your life. A lot of these men in my life, my grandfather are gone. My uncle's gone. I still have my dad. We have a wonderful relationship. And praise God, my mom broke the cycle of addiction. It's been about six years ago. I saw her this Saturday. She's doing very, very well. I want to also remind you not to, forget, not to give up on those people that you've written off. First off, don't write them off. There is hope for every single person. And it's our responsibility to share that hope with them. But I want to remind you that we don't have the luxury of time that we think that we have. I don't know how much longer I have. I hope I have a long time, but I do know I have today. And I probably have tomorrow. I most likely have next week. There's a really good chance I've got this year. <laughs> I want to make sure that I'm investing in kingdom things. And when you invest in kingdom things, you're investing in people. Take a look at the lives around you and start with your own. What are you doing with your own kids? And then look out from there. Do you have a niece or nephew that are struggling? And you know they're struggling. And yes, it's going to be a pain in the neck to perhaps go pick them up and bring them to church. And then you can't write that off because you know it's only 20 minutes here with me once you get them here. You're going to have to also see how they're doing in the middle of the week and maybe take them to a basketball game or maybe take them out to eat. I don't know what it is, but I can't reach them. I can only reach the ones here for 20 minutes when you bring them. And I can only reach the ones that I bring and the people in my sphere of influence. Who are the children God's placed in your life? How's your relationship with them? Let's all go ahead and stand. And I'm going to go a different direction here at the end. If you're a parent who perhaps longs to have more time with your child but is unable to do so, we're going to open these altars up here. I, I would invite you to come to my right, your left. Prayer counselors will, would be there to meet you. We want to pray specifically for you. I know it wouldn't be probably a whole lot of you. If you're someone who's estranged from your children, maybe it's an adult child. I have a, a friend who was estranged from her father for nine years. And finally, she stepped out and said, Dad... I want a relationship with you. It took one of them stepping out first. And now they're 
their bond is strong, but they will both say, I wish I would have humbled myself and apologized, sir. But God restored their relationship. If that's you, we'll open up these altars over here, my left, your right. And if you're a parent who would just say, Richard, I, I hear what you have to say, and I'm tired. I'm just tired. Well, I'm going to invite you to come to the middle here of the altar. Nobody will come uh, with you. That's a place for personal, private prayer. Perhaps even if you're a kid and you say, I need someone to notice me, we can have you come to the middle here too. The band's going to close this out. I ask that uh, you bow your heads. Father, I've uh, meandered through your word and your message today, but it's my prayer that your Holy Spirit's still here and will rest on the hearts of these folks. Help us to be better parents. And if there are people here, Father, who are struggling with a broken relationship, we ask that you would just uh, move on their hearts to let them come to the altar today and to first say, I need the support of my church. I need the support of this family. I need your prayers. If there are parents missing children for whatever reason, we ask that you let them come down here as well. Help us to lift them up and be the support that they need. And if there are kids here, Father, today, you'd say, I just need some love. They need to be acknowledged. Give them the courage to come as well, Lord. If there are parents here who are saying, I'm just tired. Life is so hard. Help them come as well. We thank you for uh, those of us who perhaps come here and they don't have children, Lord. I ask that you would give them uh, a burden. Maybe give them an, uh, a vision for something that they can do even within these walls to help our wonderful children here. Thank you for our children. Thank you for adopting us as your children. Thank you for bringing us into your kingdom, Father. Father, we are we're all orphans before you called us out. I thank you for going to the deepest, darkest parts of my heart and the world that I was in and pulling me out and giving me this great joy, the joy of the knowledge of your Lord and, Lord, the ability to continue to do your work. Thank you for allowing us to do your work and calling us together for such a time as this. We love you, Lord.